Hello, welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And uh, we're very delighted. We have a, a great guest with us today. Would you all please give a lockdown podcast welcome to Justin Spresny. Hello, Justin. And it's also particularly is exciting because you have also been, we'll get onto it, but you've been producing your own lockdown comedy, um, which is partly how this came about, isn't it? Through you, That's how you got in touch. And we just said, oh, you should come on the podcast. And, and, and here we are. Do you, do you want to just give us a quick pitch about your your lockdown comedy? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's um, it's a it's a comedy about characters living under lockdown. Um, they're ten minute episodes. It's a sort of fast show meets uh, talking heads, I'd say. So it's, you've got characters talking about their lives, um, and we just we were inspired to do it because we suddenly were aware of all these characters that were um, emerging th- through lockdown. So the, all these. Who's taking all these loo rolls? Who, who, who are the, all these people having to be homeschoolers now? So just these characters have kept tumbling out at us. We thought, well, if we started writing some of them up, maybe getting in touch with some of the actors we know, who we know actors self-tape themselves a lot these days, that, but maybe they might do a little self-taping for us of these scenes. And, and they all <laughs> said they, they would want, they were very happy to do it. Uh, sent them in and we thought, oh God, we have to now edit this stuff together. So we had to learn how to edit. Um, and we've been putting them out as 10 minute episodes every week, um, all sliced up. So they're about 10 or 12 characters per show. Yeah. Sorry to quickly explain that uh, you're, when you say us, you mean you and Justin and you write with, is it Paul uh, Bussell? Uh, uh, Mark, Mark Bussell. Bussell. Mark Bussell, yeah. Mark Bussell, He's sorry. He's been my long time, long time comedy writer. Uh, Justin and, and Mark. Responsible for a very successful series a few years back, the worst week of my life, uh, which turned out to be the worst several weeks of your your life, didn't it? You did about three series and Christmas specials. Yeah. And I mentioned that to my I mentioned that to my wife uh, at lunchtime as well. I was just I was saying, oh, I'm going to be talking to Justin, who did worst week of my life, and Melissa particularly just said, oh, I love that show, and she used a, a, a phrase now that is there could not be higher praise. She said that show was appointment to view. Oh, my goodness me. I mean, that is well, like, that's, that's oh, it's on tonight. Saying. We can watch <laughs> yeah. it tonight. Oh, and then we realised it was 17 years ago or something like that. I and know, it's um, so well, yeah. And the way I'm we watched TV awful. was slightly different back then. But um, so in a way, we'll, we're doing this in a, all kinds yeah. of orders. But so so through doing Worst Week of My Life and you, you met Mark, we could uh, talk a bit about that. Uh, you have these actors that you could call upon to do your lockdown yeah. show. And in a way, you've you've executed brilliantly what a whole load of people thought they should probably get around to doing, which is some sort of lockdown comedy. And then you've, mm. you've nailed it, executed, got great, great actors to do it. Lovely characters. You're on to episode four already and presumably hoping that this uh, lockdown continues indefinitely. <laughs> we actually do have one of the characters saying, <laughs> I want the Good on you, NHS, but just slow it down a bit. You know, we, yeah. we don't want this to end because it's going really well for us. Yeah. Um, uh, no, yeah. obviously, obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's trying yeah. to put a smile on people's face. But um, yeah, it did happen really quick. In terms of production, very, very simple. We write the sketches, we send them out, the actors self-tape them, they send them back to us, we edit them, we put them out. So it doesn't have to go through a lot of compliance or there aren't obviously a huge number of execs. And in, it, it's it's a very, very simple show to make. It's very time-consuming for us because we're doing a huge amount of the work we wouldn't ordinarily be doing, like editing. What have you... So what have you learnt um, in the last few weeks in terms of... Especially because you are feeding your soul to some extent by suddenly making something. And, you know, in, in, a, in, a, much, in, a, in a different way, but similar. 
I've been writing, I wrote the last, with the last series of Milton Jones, we were, we weren't that tight to transmission, but it was wonderful to feel we're writing jokes that are actually going to be recorded and broadcast pretty quickly. And then it'll be all done and dusted. Whereas with TV particularly, you are dancing around things for quite a while, things that may or may not happen. Episode three of a series that may or may not happen. Um, So yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Has it been a bit of breath of fresh air for you in that sense? Definitely. I remember hearing the um, South Park writers saying how much they enjoyed doing South Park because they would create a joke and then the next week it would be on on television. And whereas when they did Team America, which was like a three year project, it was like, oh, God, we wrote that joke three years ago. Uh, It really isn't funny now. And I think it's just, for this, it's been the same experience. I mean, we've, we've written um, Tom Goodman Hill is doing a character in next week's show about oh, someone who's great. just so, so so fed up with with Captain Tom siphoning off all the all the charitable money. You know, he's trying to get money for his charitable cause, and he's just totally fed up with Captain Tom. You know, he wants to get a tennis court built in his back garden. So, so we've been able to sort of tap tap into that yeah. sort, um, stuff which we've never really had before on shows. Well, other than going back to Weekending, when we absolutely started as writers, this is the closest we've got to uh, um, doing yeah. something which is, which is topical, but, but done through character comedy, is, is, which is what we like to write yeah. as well. So it's not so much satire. It's, it's yeah. sort of it's a hybrid, I suppose, between satire and topical and, and sitcom, really. And I think uh, when you say we called on a few uh, actor friends, um, that's, that's a slightly different from other people. Because, I mean, the, the actors that you've had in your shows, they really are the absolute top-notch uh, sort of cream of great British uh, comedy acting, like you know, sort of Alison Steadman and Ben Miller. Yeah, and real and, character uh, actors and stuff and all that. Kind of absolutely. Stuff. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what I would, I would say to any budding writer, just keep the... Keep the address book of, uh, <laughs> or yeah. find out the phone numbers of the actors you work with because you never know what's going to happen in the future. And, That's uh, very good, very uh, good advice. <laughs> let's let's rewind back there because you you a little yeah. a little buzzer went off when you said the word weekending, <laughs> and um, so we talk a fair amount on this show about Newsjack, which is the equivalent of weekending, and one of the ways in to the industry. Let's let's wind yeah. back and say, you know. Uh, an 11 year old Justin sitting cross-legged on the floor watching TV Uh, what was he watching at what point was he thinking wow I could actually write some of these sorts of jokes or you know how how did you end up in in this world I think I mean I was always interested in in drama in comedy in acting in in writing but I think I I happened to meet this guy at university uh, Mark who had a similar interest and I um uh, and we were at Southampton University where there was no footlights or, or review or anything like that. So we had to basically make our own one. We had to create our own little group. What were you called? We were called The Firing Squad. <laughs> That's a good title. That's a really good title. Because yeah. we, we were shooting down all the shibboleths, you know, of, uh, yeah. of modern society. We were, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we did one show which ran for three nights. Um, and we got some laughs. We got a very good review in the... Uh, in the local newspaper, um, where, where, where they compared us favourably to the Medics Review, which was also uh, from the Southampton <laughs> University yeah. area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've made it. Um, and we had the, just by pure coincidence, uh, Jimmy Mulville, who was acting in a play at the Southampton Nuffield, which was the theatre which was also on the university campus. And he didn't come to see us because he was acting in those, in mm. those shows. But Rory McGrath came down and happened to see our show on the third night and he was probably being polite but he's he said some very nice things about us 
Um, so we thought, oh, this is this is good. You know, we got some some approbation. It's, it's official. Yeah. And then we met them for a drink the next night, and they just gave us they gave us some very practical advice. Some producers we we didn't know any producers. You know, we didn't know who a producer was at uh, BBC Radio. Harry Thompson, David Tyler, and Paul May, who actually just they just gave us their numbers. We wrote to them, and Harry said, "Well, I'm doing this thing weekending. Send in send in your sketches." So we sent in a sketch. Um, uh, which got on straight away. It was about the Spanish referendum. <laughs> I think it was such an obscure uh, yeah. subject matter that none of the commissioned writers uh, had taken it. Taken it yeah. um, so this was 86. Uh, and, um, and then we thought, oh, we've definitely arrived. When our £15 cheque, which we had to divide amongst four of us, came through, oh, we've definitely, definitely arrived. And then we uh, carried on sending in sketch after sketch week after week and we didn't get anything on ah, <laughs> so, yes that happens quite a lot yeah so we were getting, oh, getting so we thought okay well uh, once we graduated by now because we, we, we finished our studies we thought well we'll carry on putting on shows because we, we had some fun with that and then we'll carry on sending in sketches or I mean narrative comedy sitcom was what we always wanted to do and so we um, we, uh, because of what? We, what sort of comedies were you aspiring to? You know, I guess the usual porridge and all that kind of stuff. But were there any in particular little gems that you remember? The absolute top for us then, now, and forever will always be Faulty Towers. I think for us okay. that is pound for okay. pound our favourite show. We can quote it. We probably quote it about three times a day to each other in some kind of context. You know, uh, we'll find some. Uh, I don't, um, it just. It just. On, on so many levels, uh, but just just for sheer funniness. Um, um, so, but also and, pathos. And, and yes, the pathos and, in that show, mm. and and also moments of just sheer um, delirium of you know thrashing the car with that branch. You know, and you, yeah. The two things I was thinking of when you said that sprang to mind is the uh, intricacy of of plotting, uh, and also uh, visual visual humour. Those are the two things that I remember. I'm, I'm, and we haven't even mentioned uh, The Robinsons yet, which was your next show, wasn't it? After uh, Worst Week of My Life. And that, had, uh, that yeah. had Martin Freeman in it. I remember I loved that show. It was very, very funny. I know there's a moment that I r- remember and uh, there's where he, uh, I think it was Martin Freeman, and he had small kids um, and uh, his wife had left him, I think, or uh, and, and the, the wheels on the bus song came on on the radio. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He put he put it on, and it was like it was like in the way that people get moved by a sort of beautiful piece of music. He sort of broke down, but this, this man <laughs> yeah, yeah. breaking down <laughs> about his not having his kids there to the, the tune of the wheels on the bus, which was just a <laughs> yeah, yeah. perfectly uh, horrible yeah. moment of parenthood that, that, that resonated. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so. so um, that, that that's um the 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 visual uh side of things i mean that's something that you know we do we 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 talk a lot on this show obviously uh and um it's uh, words the words are the thing on a podcast but uh getting people to come up with uh visual jokes and and, and i mean what sort of advice would you give to people about writing uh how how, how to write visual gags coming back to the sort of faulty towers point but or relating it to that i suppose um i think that you, for us, the, um, there still needs to be emotion involved in in the visual joke. So that if it's just someone walking over and, and, and falling over or a car crash or something like that, if it, it doesn't really f- feel it means very much, which is why I think 
retrospectively trying to think about this, why I was attracted to Forty Towers, and also a lot of the Neil Simon, Woody Allen, New York Jewish comedy, Larry David, that kind of that intensity of emotion. Um, the, 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 so when when Basil is thrashing that car, it's that pent up. It's almost like when you've piled on all this pressure to, uh, on a character that they become so agitated that they are not thinking clearly and they are able to behave in a, in a deranged way which gives you an incredible creative outlet yeah. for how, how am I going to you know, how, how am I going to get rid of this frustration well I'm going to do something like thrash a, thrash a car and I think um, it, it, it's, it's good. I think the times where we've got it slightly wrong is where we've, we've forgotten about that it's, and there's not really been an emotional um, part of it and an emotional ingredient to it. so it's felt a bit functional a bit mechanical and visual humour can sometimes feel like that so I think it's, it's the keep it keep it as part of the frustration of the character or the, or the, or the emotional part of the character and also mm-hmm. don't go too early I think I think it's feel emotional um, visual comedy works better if it's been if there's been a build up to it um, so again the times we've got it wrong is we've gone too early in an episode in the first minute where we've had a big visual joke well hang on the audience is still trying to sort of find its feet orientate itself um, it's it, it works well in small doses I think a modern family I think uh, really know how to how to judge the amount of visual comedy there's normally one or two in every episode but it's always very very well done I think Mm. Um, it and is then depressingly I think, good, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, and although I think, later episodes, I watch, I, I, I think I'm up to about series nine or something. By about series seven, there are one or two where I just thought, oh, that episode wasn't that good. I could have written that. <laughs> Very occasionally, yeah, yeah. it comes down yeah. to sort of slightly mortal level, yeah. and I just think, yeah. hooray, or, yeah. or rather. <laughs> I saw that coming. Finally, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred yeah, yeah. and fifty episodes in, I've just yeah. I yeah, cracked yeah. the code. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I could just about. Yeah, I could be in that room with those writers. The other thing, though, yeah. that it would be interesting to hear your your thoughts on is that um, we we always say show not tell, like everybody tells them to. The downside of that, I think, is lots of our listeners are trying to write scripts that will get them work, spec scripts, scripts they hope will be made, but ultimately, you know, hardly any shows are made and we're kind of realistic about that. But you're sending you're sending out a script, which is the thing you have control over. And if you have lots of physical comedy, people don't read stage directions well and they're always going to appreciate a gag that's spoken rather than a gag that yeah. requires lots of reading. How, what what advice would you maybe give to to balance that to show that you can do the physical, to show not tell, but also to be realistic about how scripts are read? Yeah, I think um, it's 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 uh, trying to be as economical as you can in in the in the description of the of the of the whatever physical joke or whatever visual joke it is. Um, but you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the we always felt that the. The advantage you had to the the visual joke was that it didn't require you, your audience, to have uh, to understand the reference particularly, whereas a certain verbal joke might require them to you know know that it's a pun on a Shakespeare line or what. what it, it requires a certain amount of intellectual. A visual joke doesn't really require that so much. We felt it because we've written quite a lot for BBC One and a wider audience. We think well that would be also a way of reaching uh, more people with this with the comedy we were writing. Um, but um, it's very, it's, I mean, look, s- sending um, scripts to people you don't know 
um, is, is, is very hard. And, and I think, yes, visual comedy is, is, it's very hard to convince people with that. So, um, and we started off doing verbal comedy. It was only once we got into making TV. Um, we did a show called Barbara for ITV. We did 29 episodes of that, which is a sitcom in front of an audience with Gwen Taylor, um, Sam Kelly, Mark Benton. And that was yeah. really where we, we cut our teeth because we did 29 episodes of that and uh, we were heavily influenced by Seinfeld, <laughs> I have to say, which I think people are a bit slightly surprised when they hear of Barbara, the Gwen Taylor ITV sitcom. But it, yeah. the, the, the way they structured uh, their... their having three basic A, B and C storylines, but also having a character like Kramer. We had with a Mark Benton character who was the, the local news reporter going, um, going and doing various silly stories. That was largely a visual character. It gave us license to just purely visual jokes in the way that Kramer is often doing very visual stuff, whereas Jerry's stuff doesn't feel quite so visual. So um, um, I would say if, if it's something you want to do, yes, but it's it's almost like you have to get in on the on on the on your storytelling, your character, yeah. and on your on your verbal checks really, because it it can also put put people off. Yes, no, it it can. You mentioned Barbara there, which is something I would love to just stop stop and talk about briefly, because mm. it is it feels like the last the last proper studio sitcom almost ITV did. Yeah. around about the time they basically gave up trying to do it. It feels like they, yes. they lost confidence in it because... We, we finished them off. Well, I mean, <laughs> I've always loved Gwen Taylor since the days of Duty Free, um, you mm. know, which was essentially a, a farce comedy, a holiday farce comedy. Yeah. Um, and it was a great thrill of mine to be able to interview for this podcast uh, Eric Chappell, who wrote Duty Free, as well as Rising Damp and, you know, properly brilliant shows for ITV. And then Barbara was around, and I, I, but ITV sort of did a really good job of not telling anyone that it was on mm. or when it would be on. It felt much unloved, really. Did you get so? How did that show come about, and, and why did ITV refuse to tell anyone about it? <laughs> well, it was, it, it didn't feel like that at the time. It was, um, I think, it, because it was a sitcom, and ITV have always really majored on drama and entertainment shows. That's always been their, their, their big hitters, and so sitcom has always had this. Uh, slightly strange sort of setting in there because you've got uh, you've had the I think when when they were when they were individual franchises like Thames and and L two they all yeah. had their comedy departments and they would always all pitch for stuff and so you have stuff like on the buses but then um, that was all coming to an end when we were making mm. Barbara I mean we did six an episode a series of six then a series of ten and then a series of twelve so they were commissioning more and more of them but I think it's it it like anything. There was a, you get into the, the final series, one episode is moved around the schedule, suddenly the audience gets slightly confused when it was show actually happening. Um, but it was, it was our real education, I suppose, as comedy writers, because it meant that we were, we had a, a, a show in the studio every week. We had that, you know, that uh, routine of the, the read-through on Monday, and then you're in the studio yeah. on Friday night, and then you've got the weekend off doing the rewrites on the next episode. And, um, and, it's and an amazing really feeling, isn't it? Oh, it's absolutely it's a and you I, well I never learnt and no, no one else seemed to learn was how to it's almost like when we just couldn't evolve from thinking this is a great script on Monday because everyone's laughing at the read through by the time you get to Friday it's a terrible script because you've, you've seen it so many times in rehearsal and, and, and no one's laughing at it to the point where the audience come in and start laughing think, oh it is funny again so your emotions go sort of straight up again. Um, and and 
there was nothing we could do to say it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and you would never feel like you would always feel depressed on Thursdays. But then you had the next uh, uh, roller coaster to go through, which was then wow that. That just killed in the studio and the audience were rolling about and then it goes on to the television into your living room and something has disappeared. It's impossible to know. I mean, not all or not not in all shows. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there were plenty of episodes with Barbara where it didn't. But I know from my my own experience of writing on uh, audience sitcom shows that the the the. the uh, the distance between what is recorded on the night and what goes out on the screen is uh, can sometimes be quite quite spectacular, almost not in a good mm. way. Um, I, was, I was just thinking that what you were saying then about ITV and uh, and yeah, it probably is um, uh, the, one of the things that we've lost. I think with uh, not having the regional ITV uh, sitcom uh, companies was um, actually remembering that each. Uh, place had a sort of specific type and there were Yorkshire yeah. TV sitcoms were of a type and I was from, grew up yeah. in Leeds and so there was always a sense for me of audience sitcom and Leeds being kind of quite quite having quite a strong link and then uh, Granada had their own version which was a was a kind of Coronation Street as the breeding ground for fantastic uh, comedy mm. drama writers, and yeah. then Thames had their versions and things, and and, and HTV um, didn't have anything. <laughs> so down, down in the West Country, yeah. I associate so in the West Country, genuinely, I associated ITV comedy with other parts of the UK. Right, um, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. occur, and the idea that you would have a, 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 a sitcom set in the West Country as well would be unthinkable, other than to say, here are a bunch of carrot crunching mm. yokel idiots. <laughs> I guess that might have been the point at which ITV's sitcom, uh, I don't know, their skill at creating them sort of vanished, really. So was it, well, it was round about that time. Yeah, it all became, the company became centralised. And so once it, it was all coming out of one department, so it, uh, it sort of changed everything. And I think also uh, people started to feel a bit worried about comedy because you think there's a lot of collateral damage if a comedy doesn't go well. You know, the, the, the head of department is, is somehow compromised, the, the head of the the channel can be compromised. So um, it's, it's people have, have, you can see, have just become much more timid about commissioning comedy, particularly on, on the big channels, I think, because it's, mm. it's, it's, if it goes wrong, it, it does feel like a very high profile failure in a way that a, a, a drama that doesn't quite work or a documentary doesn't really quite work, doesn't have the same sort of fallout, um, which is a real shame because I think you get, we were able to experiment massively on that show. And we, I mean, there was one episode where she, the her house had become flooded, and so we actually tanked the the studio and and flooded and had you know the cameraman walking around in you know a meter of water while Barbara is trying to sell the house, and so she's she's the state agents coming around and showing people around wading through you know a meter of water, and there are ducks going around, and it was like insane surreal stuff. That again, we were trying to do Seinfeld, but we, and and we were sort of getting away with it. There was no real creative interference in it and they let us do 28 episodes so it's it's a very very happy sort of experience uh, memory for us because um we were we really sort of developed a, a, a style and again really discovered visual comedy i think from doing that because that was the stuff that the audience the studio once really responded to the most strongly uh, bernard cribbins as um you know as a taxidermist stuffing his his late wife and keeping her in the uh, in, in his shed um 
to which ITV were a bit, uh, a bit uh, that was the only sort of uh, pushback we had on it, but we managed to get that through. Um, but it was, so that was really, really fun. So by the time we came to do Worst Week, we thought, well, we want to do extreme comedy. Not extreme in terms of taste, because we've never really been interested in sort of pushing or being outraged in that way, but just things that you can, bold, bold ideas. Um, things like... Um, uh, Victor Meldrew with the the the, the two CV mm. and the skip those those kind of ideas which challenge your sense of what reality is, and because it's a battle we we have had over the years with commissioning editors that you know I don't quite believe this I don't quite believe this and I mean David Redrick got it round it so wonderfully by having a character saying I don't believe it almost sort of saying well you know, yeah. you know <laughs> I'm inviting you into this world but I think with if you if 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 it's the kind of comedy that interests you is that sort of Curb Your Enthusiasm, Seinfeld, One Front of the Grave, Forty Towers, where you are, you're pushing at reality the whole time because mm. the, 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 the idea of the joke or the idea of the comic situation is what you're interested in and how, mm. far you, and how far you can push that. Do you think therefore what they're missing when you do get pushback is that they sort of say, well, I don't believe this thing, to which you would say, well, yes, but please tell me where the logic doesn't work. Because surely the skill of the writer is to take you somewhere where there's not one single false step. You know, we, in an episode yeah. of Miranda, we had one of my favourite bits is having Miranda read Mein Kampf to some kids in a library. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, and it's like, yeah. because she's trying to get out of being a godparent um, and therefore yeah, yeah, showing yeah. that she's a terrible person. And you think, well, you couldn't start with that, could you? Yeah. But you get to that situation. And I sometimes wonder that that people sort of isolate moments and over worry about them. And you go, no, no, in the... and it's amazing what you can get away with in the last three minutes of a show. I've, I've, I've always absolutely. said. I, I, absolutely. I think the, um, I mean, even doing this housebound show that we're doing now, we've got a, a character who is refusing to follow any of the, so, the social distancing, any of the restrictions. And she's saying things like, look, look people are going to die. Uh, people are going to die. You know, the, 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 the people who, uh, who don't have bupa, you know, they, they're going to die. It's, 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 and you think, if you, if you sort of step back from that and analyse it, it's a really sort of yeah. offensive thing, but we haven't had one person complain about it, because I think people get the idea that this is a ridiculous character and an exaggerated character who, who, who would say this, but luckily there aren't people we actually know saying this. I it's a really complex thing, that, because you can do stuff that feels quite edgy, but really isn't. Well, you, you, you've already mentioned the uh, whacking the car with the with the with the tree of uh, Basil, which uh, you know, if you take that out and you say, well, you know, ha have you ever seen a person get out of their car and whack the bonnet with yeah. a, a tree? Well, of course you haven't. But you know, have how? Oh, then the, the next question is, have you ever felt like taking a branch and bashing your car with it and yeah it's a 10 yeah, times yeah, yeah. a day you know uh, yeah. so um so, so i suppose it is that trying trying to get that across to you know to uh, mm. a script editor or producer or something is actually yeah it's it's it, it, it is the it's the and what you were saying earlier about you know the the best visual gags have that kind of emotional uh, heart to them um one thing I'm quite interested in, th thinking about the shows, uh, I, I haven't seen the the, the, uh, the the new one, but but I think about I'm mentioning the characters that uh, that the actors that you've worked with, and you know these sort of great names like you know Janine Davitsky as well, and uh, yeah. and um, uh, Alison Stedman, and, and um, the generation uh, of uh, actors 
who have 40, 50 years now been the kind of staple of British comedy. I know Ben Miller is probably not, he's not quite of that of that age or whatever, but do you see many kind of younger people coming through with those kind of, with that kind of ability? Because we do seem to be getting more writer-performer people who have, yeah. who are great at being themselves, but not so much at being other people and, and being able to do that kind of thing. I think I think doing this show that we're doing now has, has, has really... Um, given me incredible sort of um, optimism about that because there are people like Ken Collard who was in uh, Cuckoo, he play, um, Priyanka Burford who's been in the thick of it. So they played quite small characters in, the, in these shows. They're, they're, with these bigger parts, they're brilliant, brilliant actors. I mean, it's almost like, like they're so underserved normally that this is an opportunity for them because they're, I suppose because they're monologues, they can really inhabit the character and find more about it. So I have, I have yes, I, 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 I didn't used to think that because... We worked with as they do, Jeffrey Whitehead and Alison and Hugh Bonneville and all these great people, Adam Massey. Um, <clears throat> but no, I do generally. I think I think there is a fantastic generation of of, of actors coming through. Neil Edmund, we've worked with on on this uh, Tom oh, Goodman oh, Hills novel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Finding wonderful nuance. And so I think as a writer, what you hope is that that, uh, that an actor will get what you wrote. But the really great actors will get more than what you will add more than even what you imagined was capable yeah. in either a line or a scene. And, I, and all these people are, are doing that. I mean, they are having to do it on their own. So we, there are no directors. And I think maybe that has unleashed them, uh, unleashed their creativity as well. So, um, no, I, th- I think it's been great. Um, who have we got? Selena Griffiths, who's in uh, Benidorm and various, many other shows. She's doing something for us next week. Mark Benton, uh, again, was wonderful. We've got him back. So it's been, yeah, I, I feel very, very, very um, chuffed. I mean, I love working with actors anyway. I just love, I love actors as people. <laughs> I love what they do. I, I feel they are magical, wonderful people anyway, because obviously... Oh, don't tell them that. <laughs> no, no, don't, don't tell them. <laughs> they don't need to know that. I'm sure no one... They already them. know it. <laughs> <laughs> but they... Uh, and they make us look good, <laughs> so as writers. So um, yeah, yeah, no, they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's just it's a it's a real thrill to to do stuff for them for it to all come back and then to just to see them work their magic. And um, um, yes, I mean, Alison was like you, you would say you say to Alison, could you could you um, could you maybe say that line as if you've heard it's the first time you've heard that thought? And she'd go, she'd sort of look and she'd okay, go. She wouldn't even try it out she would just go away and then she'd just do it straight away in 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 a totally new different the way they find nuances and, and different shades to meaning that's what i find wonderful. you know and that's why it's it's hard when you're starting out and you're getting your actor friends to do it of of varying degrees of talent and quality and um whereas you, you give a half decent line to a really good actor and you just go oh wow that's whew, that's you know that one really took off um and on the and i'm sure even even on the night, going back to those uh, studio recordings of Barbara, there'd have been lines that were hitherto not funny until the actual performance in front of an audience, and it gets a woofing great big laugh. And you you look at your co-writer puzzled and go shrug <laughs> and go, yeah, we'll have that one. Yeah. Uh, they didn't yeah, yeah. they didn't like they didn't like the other one, so uh, we'll take that one as in kind as it were. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we found it much more pressured working on on the sitcom because it's almost like you're working towards the one interpretation of the line that's going to get the best reaction from the audience. Whereas when you're doing a, a, a single camera and you can do lots of different takes, ev- everyone can have a go. The actor can do their version, the director can do their version. The, or you can say, well, could you try this version? You can have five or six different versions, which you can then decide in the edit 
later. We did a um, in Worth Week in the first very first episode of the first show. They, uh, they were doing the seating plan, and Ben had to come down and he's he's basically wrecked everything in this episode. And now he he wrecks the seating plan, which they've been spending hours working on. And so we couldn't really work out the best way of doing that. Is it better if he trips over and absolutely you know, hurls himself at this seating plan, scattering everything, or is it is the subtle one better? Whether he just sits down as he crosses his leg, he just clips the <laughs> the, the, the table uh, leg, and the thing just sort of slowly collapses in front yeah. of it and we just generally didn't know what was going to be in the room it felt like the big the bigger slapstick one was going to be funnier yeah. um, so we shot both and then when we came to the edit there was the it was the it was the smaller performance that worked but only because within the context of the show we'd just come off the back of quite a big visual moment and yeah. to have another big visual moment straight after it just felt a bit too much and so the the, the the small one, and so that's the beauty of being able to shoot stuff on 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 location with with you know with multiple takes yeah. because you can you can then decide in the edit. Yeah, and that's I guess also if writers um, want to you know start making their own stuff, it does really show you that you know just quite how mercurial the whole business is and how you know even with actors, so the the actors love some ca- the actors you know are brilliant in front of the camera. Other actors, there was an actor we saw for a part of a thing I did. It got down to the last two. In the room, it was obviously going to be this person. We looked back at the tape and discovered that none, none of her charisma got through the lens. And yeah. the other one, it was like, oh, well, it's obviously going to be this one. Um, but we wouldn't have said that until we watched it back and realised, well, this isn't a theatre show we're making. Uh, so, Absolutely. Um, we had exactly that experience. One An actor who we were, we were slightly put off because he he, he had a... A rather abrasive personality, and so we thought, well, oh, he could be quite hard to, you know, to work with. But actually, it was exactly the same experience. Once we'd seen what he could do on the tape afterwards, once we'd forgotten about, you know, yeah. th- three hours away from how uncomfortable it had been uh, in the actual room to to see how good he was on, we thought, well, he, he's yeah. got to, you know, how, however uncomfortable it's going to be, it doesn't matter because you know he's he's going to make this character funny and he's going to make the show yeah. funny. So, yeah, do you think? Um, we should before we name names. Uh, do you think we should uh, just talk a little bit about how? Um, I'm guessing now, actually. <laughs> I mean, you were brought up with studio sitcoms. You 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 yeah. started out making one. You used to do live comedy um, at university, and but since then, I think everything you made has been single camera. Is that is that pretty right? much? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, although did, I suspect um... it's not for lack of trying. Is that fair? Have you been pitching studio shows that just haven't gone for whatever reason? Not really, because what what happened was that we, when we started doing, uh, after Barbara, when we started doing our own stuff, um, <clears throat> uh, we also did a, a, a show with Timothy Spall um, called The Thing About Vince, this is about 2000, and we didn't really like the way it had been directed, and so we thought, well, we should really try and direct it more stuff ourselves, not because we, we'd ever got into thinking that we want to, you know, direct our own shows, but we thought, well, it, we just seem to be missing, every scene seems to be missing the comedy slightly. And if, um, so once we started directing, we directed the Robinsons and we took over directing Worst Week. We thought, well, actually, we, 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 could, we, we do have a bit more control over what we're writing. Yeah. Um, and also, there just weren't that many single-camera directors out there uh, at the time, yeah. uh, around the, the turn of the century. There just weren't that well, many. Well, there are even fewer well, now. Well, th- I, th- I think... There were, there were. I mean, Jim Fieldsmith wasn't around then. I, I think you know, uh, Paul. Some of the people we've worked with subsequently weren't around then. I think we would be very happy for them to to direct mm. our work. So the last thing we did 
uh, we had Paul Norton Taylor, and he was fabulous. So, so I, we don't feel the same kind of des- desire to direct it. Yeah. It's the same desire to direct in the way we, we used to, I think. Yeah. It's a different type of director, isn't it, to uh, an audience show Absolutely. director? What's, um, what, what's, what do you find um, uh, in the process of writing and producing and directing? What, uh, how are you able to kind of uh, compartmentalise it all? I mean, I think it all comes back to the script. So as the producers, we're able to um, make sure all the resources that need um, being put in the right place are being put on script. So if there was a big visual joke that required you know, half a day shooting, then as the producers, we, we would be able to insist on that in a way that if we were just the writers, we wouldn't. Um, and so it means that we feel that the money's not being wasted on, on ex- extraneous things that don't need to be, to be spent on. Um, and then in directing, we are able, we're so close to the, to the action and, and, and have a direct dialogue with the actors that we're able to, um, to sort of say, well, this is, I mean, most of the time, actors, it's more about guiding than actually, you know, direction yeah. saying, you know, this is how we, we want it to be played. It's more just sort yeah. of guiding it. I mean, it should um, be clear from the script, shouldn't it, really? It, exactly, exactly. I mean, it sounds like you're showrunners as much as anything else. I mean, in the classically understood way. Yeah. Uh, that, that you are sort of showrunning really, uh, as much as anything else. And, and I think, uh, which is why I, was, I would encourage all writers to try and do, and, and to try and do a little bit of producing line, do a bit of directing of their own stuff, and also to get to know actors. The more involved, even if you're only doing like local amateur dramatics, or you're putting on little, you're making your own YouTube shows, whatever it is, any experience you can have of that is, is, is useful, because um, you, you, you can use this, it, it, all it's doing is it's trying to protect your, your script, because it can go so easily wrong. The, the American version of Worst Week, they did 16 episodes of it, so it was a decent decent run, but they didn't quite get the sort of... The, the, the father-in-law character wasn't quite severe enough and the, and the mother-in-law wasn't quite... You know, they'd just taken the edge off certain right. parts of it, and so that's why it was, it was quite good, but it, wasn't, it, it just wasn't as good as it could have been. Um, and, if, and so I think if you're there and you're able to just to... I don't like really saying control or, or, or just, just to sort of say, well, no, what we're... We're trying to... Well, it's your, you're living it and you're breathing it. I mean, it's a bit like yeah. what I... You know, on the... So being a writer on set, if you're not in that position, you as a writer on set are the only one who's sort of got the whole script in their head, whereas the director is trying to get the scene done by lunch because in the afternoon he's got this many setups to do, the light's going to go, and you're the one who's tracking the whole episode and just thinking, in the scene before, which we shot two weeks ago, this happened... Yeah. And that's not going to match uh, quite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the next scene, which we're not shooting till a week, uh, week's time, we're going to need to make sure. And that prop is now not going to look right. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But you're, and whereas the producer is basically saying to you as the writer, could you please keep these thoughts to yourself and not tell anyone because they're going to create Absolutely. extra work and make us late. Um, oh, and you, but, you make an excellent, excellent point about props. I mean, we would have uh, a whole, we, we, we want to see all the props in advance, you know, during pre-production Let's have yeah. a let's have a choice of the because pro- you know what it's like. You you turn up. It's like well, it's Stonehenge. You know, you turn up and it's yeah. not the, it's not quite the. And that has happened to us in so many times in the past. That, oh God, we can't. We just can't do this joke now. This joke that's all been depending on. We can't do. And so all that. Yes, and, it's, and see, you feel for that prop because you're initially the props person. It's just like ah, oh, how could yeah, you not yeah. know? And then you yeah. read the script, which is what you got to go and just think, yeah, 
The joke okay. was entirely in my head. It is not at all clear. Entirely <laughs> yeah. forgivable, but yeah, still, yeah, yeah. Ah! you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still uh, remembering that um, Jeff McGiven uh, story about when he was uh, they, they had to have a, a a child actor is required for a scene in which uh, he has to sort of very uh, quickly lift the child up and, and you know. So it's obviously like three or four. And years defend old. it. Shield. Use a child as a shield, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's and and the child that they got on the day was like sort of nine or ten years old <laughs> and he yeah. has to do this sort of very sudden <laughs> movement of lifting up this child which of course with a three or four year old would have been fine yeah <laughs> yes go back and do go back yeah. and listen yeah. to jeffrey tell that and many other stories <laughs> from his extraordinary career as a character actor um yeah so he played uh, a, so yeah he played a uh, drunken santa claus in uh, an episode of the worst christmas of my life <laughs> yeah, he, he was uh, he was a boozy Santa who got into a, oh. a huge, huge fistfight with uh, Ben Miller. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very, very funny man. Um, going back to um, studio mainstream comedy, both studio comedy and mainstream comedy, um, that's obviously something that Dave and I particularly have a, have yeah. a heart for. And I wonder if uh, you sense a slight loss of nerve in that area. And presumably, I would like to think that controllers and commissioners are beating a path to your door, at least, to say, please, please, please deliver us a broad mainstream sitcom or a studio show. Um, but on the rare occasions I'm in that situation where they say, no, we'd love to do an audience comedy. My initial reaction is, I only think you think you want an audience comedy. <laughs> and the moment you see one, you suddenly panic. Is, is there anything in that? I think it's very, I think, I mean, the, the history of successful shows on BBC One, of comedies, have no, they've normally come from somewhere else. Either they've been late night, so they've been 10.30 outnumbered, or I think it wasn't Mrs Brown's Boys and that started at 10.30, yeah. or Miranda, yeah, which was only, yeah. um, Miranda was on BBC Two, Little Britain was yeah. on BBC Three. Shows sort of come with a, with a sort of, uh, already a, a, a groundswell of support and and love and success. So yeah. by the time they come to, into into a nine o'clock or an eight thirty slot, they're, they're established shows. And uh, worst week was a nine o'clock. We went straight in at nine o'clock, um, and we did okay. We did well enough, uh, and then we got better as as it went on. But it's very very hard to launch a a brand new BBC One show uh, and, mm. uh, and has been ever since One from the Grave with it was three series before that was accepted Where Only Falls at Horses another you know famous example three series and I think there just isn't the the process to allow a show to develop over three series um, for it to be successful so unless there is a, a really strategic decision to say we are going to grow a show on BBC Two or Late Night on BBC One but I think even that 10.30 slot is gone now. It's going to be very, it's very hard for any show. I mean, those Emma Kennedy's show, the um, the Kennedys, you know, it's a very nice show. Yeah. It went, went in, you know, it, it, it's very hard to establish yourself um, uh, on BBC One in prime time uh, as a brand new show. We did a show, another show, Ben, I Want My Wife Back, which is a lovely little romantic comedy, beautifully cast. But, but we just couldn't get enough to keep going for the next couple of, in the next couple of series and so um, I think that's that's probably what they're nervous about how does any show really start on BBC One and and, and, yeah. and really really get a foot in it's very, very and in, I and I guess all of the b before that uh, back in the old days well how did To The Manor Born get started well there were only three channels 
<laughs> and they made eight of them and they decided that the British people were going to darn well watch this show, whether they liked it or not. Absolutely. It's a very different way, isn't it? And it's now, it's now what does the audience think? But now it's very hard, isn't it? With comedy, you're, you don't want to do a show uh, or a joke that works because if you think, if you think it works, then it feels, well, that by its very description, it's been done before. And so that's not going to be very fresh. Equally, mm. if you do something that hasn't been done before, then there's something scarily experimental about that which can put people off. And I feel as a comedy writer, I'm always sort of in between those two worlds of thinking, no, I want something to be new, but at the same time, I've got to have a certain amount of craft that is telling me that, 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 that this isn't just the work of an amateur. And, and so you're, you're, you're oscillating between these two things the whole time. And I think for any new show that is, is good is going to be a bit odd and a bit different to start with until you find the sensibility. And then yeah. once you get into that sensibility, sensibility you're, you're locked on it, really, I think. And you, it think, stays with you. Yeah, I think there's another uh, problem as well, which is, again, is a more recent problem, is, is, is that comedy has sort of become a little bit like, like uh, football. Um, and that you, you know you have now with Netflix and, and Amazon Prime, you know the kind of the, the, the sort of Manchester cities and Liverpools of, of comedy shows with uh, yeah. casts of thousands and, and you know incredible expenditure. Uh, and then um, you, you've got uh, a kind of middle ground, um, that, or there's there's a, a few a sort of elite of things that try to get made, and then there's everybody else underneath that is kind of scrabbling to be a part of that, and then you've got this sort of massive under underbelly now of uh, of, of of amateur almost, but you know, so that, that there's kind of less of a sort of uh, flow, like a natural flow, say from from starting out weekending as you did to getting your shows and whatever yeah. to to you know well, making a yeah. show and also yeah. the tv sketch shows so <clears throat> also you were writing and uh, you know Armstrong and Miller which yeah. is very much I mean a good way the the two ronnies of its yeah. day as it were the training and the two ground for new writers yeah and the yeah. two two ronnies who who wrote sketches the two ronnies well you know david renwick and john sullivan and yeah, yeah. two of the greatest sitcom writers we've ever produced and so yeah. you think well where where exactly do people think these sitcom writers are going to come from yeah. um but those shows just don't exist anymore do they no and they used to make huge amounts of pilots i mean we our first ever show was when we were starting off as a sitcom writer we were thinking there are all these pilots we can write for because because they made pilots the first pilot we ever wrote um which got produced uh, was called stuck on you with um neil morrissey and amelia bullmore and it got 9.7 million <laughs> uh when it went out on itv uh, which itv considered rather disappointing <laughs> <laughs> wow! And so it was, what it they would do for nine point seven million now? <laughs> so yeah, there were just much. There are more opportunities. I mean, I suppose you would you would balance that by saying there are more opportunities on YouTube and on online and and in in a way they weren't then. So perhaps doesn't it, doesn't make any money though, does it? <laughs> no, no, as you are but discovering. <laughs> but, but but yes, but I suppose your stuff can be seen in a way that I remember yes. seeing. You know, in in a way that at least you are making stuff that can be can be yeah. visible. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there is that. So presumably, uh, we should probably wrap this up uh, fairly soon. My, um, Dave might have a question for you, but my last one would be whether, I don't know how often you read scripts from people who don't have much experience or who are getting, who are, you know, and I'm sure you get pestered occasionally by relatives or friends of friends who twist your arm to read a script. What, uh, what's, what do you see in scripts that you tend to find people 
you know, what are the common mistakes essentially that people are making in the scripts that you read? If if indeed you do read many scripts, Ooh. I don't read that many. Uh, the problem is when I start to when I do read them, I have hundreds and hundreds. I think we oh, could do that better, and I start being far too prescriptive and being too writing right. about it. Um, um, I would say I think uh, the, f- the first impressions, the first two pages, are the most important, yeah. um, and I think the first. The way you establish your character is in the first two pages is is more important. I mean, we would spend more time on the first two or three pages of our script than probably the rest of the script by uh, the I don't know yeah. to the matter of ten or hundred probably hundred times. Yeah. Um, so um, and it's very hard to 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 make people laugh on the first page because they don't have any information. So I, th- I would say yeah. use that to your advantage. If they don't know anything, you can reveal stuff. You can use some quite nice reveal jokes in the way that Modern Family, the pilot episode, is a very good example of that, I think. Yeah. Um, so I think um, don't, yeah, just, just try and think really hard about the, about the sort of signals you're giving off with, the, with your first two pages about what yeah. you want people to think about your character. It can be positive and negative, but because um, I think that's where sometimes it takes a while to get going or it can yeah. put people off. Because a lot of the time people are... You know, busy execs are probably just going to read the first few pages, which will determine whether or not they're going to carry on reading. So, do you think nowadays um, it's it, it's a good idea to to do filming, uh, film, give a show reel rather than just a script or as well I, as a script? I th- I think so because I think for me for for us we've always as even going back to making those sketch shows. While we were writing comedies, we were always making our own things. I think it just it keeps it keeps you learning, as because if you are sending in scripts the whole time, it can feel a bit abstract and a bit daunting and a bit sort of demoralising sometimes. If if people are knocking you back, whereas at least if you are making stuff, you are learning about how to work with actors, learning how to, how to set certain things, also learning about your own writing, about how stuff certain things. I mean, I mean I've learned so much about editing on this process about how just how little material you actually need to establish a premise before you get into the, the actual, the funny yeah. part of the, of, of the yeah. scene. And so... Uh, that's you can, yeah, effect. visually you can establish so much so quickly, yeah. not, just in what's the, not just in what's there, but what in isn't there, or not just, yeah. just a backdrop and a piece of clothing. Right, I know who this person is. Um, the other thing that we were quite surprised by, um, so we recently had a competition, we read 60, 70 scripts, um, and we were surprised by uh, how difficult people find plotting. Um, and so quite often the story wouldn't start till page 10 and and rather ran out of steam on page 23, and yet still the show didn't end till page 37, if I may crudely parody, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the stereotype. And I think what people people don't have an expectation of spending an awfully long time plotting. If you've got to write a half hour script, how long do you and your writing partner spend uh, on the outline? Plot, 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 plot before you even write a first draft in comparison to the overall process. Uh, oh, huge amounts of time. It's, it's everything, really, um, because I think our, because our stories depend on um, on, on the storytelling aspects of it. Uh, it if you're because I mean certainly the way we would do Worst Week is it's quite a simple premise where we're piling on all this all these terrible things that happen to this character during this week but we would want to reach we want to end the episode with a very big moment and so if we knew what that moment was we would then reverse engineer our way to getting to that mm-hmm. moment 
And likewise, but then you would find things when you're writing it on the way, which you hadn't mm. necessarily planned, which you could also add. So, um, oh God, yeah, no, they're, they're, every, every scene is, is tilled over and, and I mean, yeah. if you, it's so much easier if you, if you have a premise which allows you, which where the stakes are very high, where, I mean, this is obviously the week of his wedding, so things going wrong on the wedding, you know, the, the, his emotions are at the surface, um, yeah. there's a lot of things that are happening so a lot of the storytelling is, is kind of done for you because people yeah. have a sense of how, how a wedding week map, maps out that you have the you yeah. know, the rehearsal and all that sort of stuff so that can be helpful um, but yeah no, it's, 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 we enjoy Jane because it's the collisions of stories when they meet each other That's another yeah. thing going back to Seinfeld where you know the marine biologist and the and the, yeah. the golf ball in the in the way it was a beautiful collision of storytelling really that is incredibly satisfying, and so we're looking for those moments as uh, as well. The as sea th- was angry that day, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Yeah, great. Is anyone here a marine biologist? <laughs> yes. Yeah, Although I mean, sometimes sometimes in Seinfeld you you have you have four completely parallel plots that don't that don't yeah. actually uh, match up at all. Well, I mean, yeah. Seinfeld's one of my favourite shows. Uh, do you have a particular favourite episode? Uh, I think the contest is pretty unbeatable, only because it was so. Uh, I, yeah. I just couldn't, I couldn't believe what, I couldn't believe what they were doing when I was watching yeah. it. You know, I thought this is. Are they really going to try and get away with this? I was um, alone. Yeah. <laughs> Such a great mind, isn't it? It tells you everything. <laughs> I still can never quite get over the limo episode, equally for the extremity of it. Yeah, when, when, the, is when, that the neo-Nazis? Yeah, when, when you yeah. realise, once he's in the limo, who O'Reilly is, I think I might have even jumped out of my seat. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, like, yeah, great. Dave, do you, we should probably wrap it up there, but Dave, do you have any more questions? I think that's, that's it. I mean, I was just, uh, I have like moments, I have sort of about 10 or 20 or 30 Seinfeld moments. And that, that, that is a great thing. And one of the mm. things that I loved about uh, the, 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 your shows is, like you say, you kind of, uh, you, you have this, um, you, you get an idea and you kind of work backwards from it. I mean, is there, mm. uh, that, that's, um, that, does that happen a lot then for you? That's definitely. I mean, that's definitely what we're trying to do. We're trying to find soaring moments of 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 oh, sorry, comedy delirium, I suppose, where 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 it's such a strong, you have such a strong visceral um, reaction to it. I mean, it doesn't always mm. obviously succeed, but that's what definitely what we're trying to. Because I think that's how we've enjoyed viewing comedy ourselves, which is this explosive reaction to to mm. to what you're watching. So um, yeah, and um, ultimately, that, you have to write the kind of comedy that you enjoy. Um, it has to yeah. be personal in that sense. It has to be, you know, right. You're ultimately writing for yourself. But if you're trying to write to get a show on TV to impress people, you know, to make money, all those sorts of things, it's like, forget it. It's already hard enough to write for yourself. So, maybe absolutely. Which is that. why I think if you can find a producer who likes your stuff, uh, that is that is your your sixty percent of the way there, really. Because yeah. most most people won't get your stuff on the page. But one person, you just have to keep looking until you find that person. Because yeah. uh, if they do, then, then they will champion you and they will really want to get your stuff on, which is, which is, which is again, most of, the, most of the battle would have been done. It's very hard to do that on your own in isolation, I think. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we will put thank links in the much. show notes to your, uh, to your webcom. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, I hope it's... 
And long, long may lockdown continue. Uh, I was one of the people that wanted the war in Afghanistan to last longer so that we could have a full series of Bluestone 4-2. But I was aware that that was a rather selfish objective. Um, so. But it was a bittersweet well, end not- to a war for me. Yeah. And our thanks to Justin and his show Housebound is available via YouTube. If you go to Busby Productions, you'll find it there, B-U-S-B-Y. Housebound is the show. Interview on our Patreon site with an accompanying video as well of the Zoom chat that, that we had. So if you go to Sitcom Geeks Patreon, you can find that. Plus, we've got extra content. We've got an interview with... Um, Anil Gupta and Richard Pinto that we've not dropped yet, which is a really brilliant two-parter and lots of other content as well, including Soup to Nuts, which is Dave and I writing a sitcom. Loads of other audio content to get you through these times. And I hope that you can make use of that in order to improve your scripts, because that is ultimately the thing over which you have control. Anyway, we're done. Thanks very much for listening. Speak to you next time. Bye-bye.